0: All right, welcome to the Knowles 24-7 podcast. I'm Brendan Sinone. Joining me today is Chris Nee, Bob Ferranti. Uh, we're at Bob's house just chilling right now, and I have an important question for Chris. Is it Hamza Nazirudine, Nasirudine, Nazirudine? I've always called him
1: Nazirudine or just Naz.
0: Yeah, I'm just going to call him Hamza or Naz, I think, from here on out because that's brutal. Bob, do you have any suggestions or any thoughts on how to say say Naz? If he's going to be this good, he needs a nickname. I'm going with something simple like... Naz. Okay. Naz.
2: Something.
0: Hamsa, Ham. Yeah, so that is a name though that that our listeners are probably going to need to know because as we're uh, recording this on a Monday fresh off a uh, a late scrimmage on Sunday evening, that's kind of what we're going to recap in this uh, in this episode. Uh Jimbo Fisher was giddy over the, the freshman safety, Hamza Nasruddin. Um and I'm going to go with that because I feel like that's pretty close, if not if not 100%, but mean names, and I've been practicing it and writing about him this morning, and I'm just not going to get it right, but Jimbo was playing giddy over him, uh, and that to me was probably one of the biggest takeaways of the scrimmage. Uh, before we go into the rookie contributors, uh, and, and there's some other guys along with Naz that, that we want to talk about, let's go over the scrimmage. Uh, from our standpoint, we only see the first – 15 minutes or so of practice that's basically stretching some special team stuff we don't see any of the actual scrimmage
1: yeah we see positional work that's about the best it gets so and we'll see some like pursuit that through
0: yeah so it's minimal um we can kind of get an idea of, of who's doing what with certain teams uh, but we're limited in what we can report with that uh so we have to go off with what Jimbo says and typically after every single scrimmage uh Jimbo's company line is i can't really say right now i have to wait till i watch the film so (laughs) so with that uh here was chris knee his question to jimbo fisher was about deandre francois and how he looked and jimbo's response was
1: okay okay okay. Yeah, yeah it was it was great it really filled up the notebook allowed me to write a lot i was i was really happy that our fsu starting quarterback entering his second season as starter who's had a good spring and reportedly a good preseason that I was really able to fill up the page with words okay eh,
0: okay okay and as we were walking so so as it works now as we go up to uh to the players lounge to do interviews uh, and I think that's kind of a cooling off period now so basically Jimbo can come up or players who, who didn't talk after scrimmage on Sunday but they get a little bit of time to to kind of cool off because the last time we talked to Jimbo after a scrimmage he dropped an F-bomb very very subtly over in the spring
1: I, I think it's also so we don't sit there and poke our eyes and see who's coming off with a boot or who's not coming off like who's not there anymore injuries and stuff like that I think some of it's to play into the secrecy of Buy them and a you know if we have access on a Tuesday and we don't see them, uh, than the start of Tuesday to buy is till Thursday where we don't know what happened at the end of Tuesday basically in that sense, unless we're told it behind the scenes.
0: And then the issue with that is some people see p- see players in the in the yeah in, in the players' and, lounges. And you're probably not supposed to yeah. see during or, certain
1: periods of time.
0: Yeah, we'll walk get.
1: Walking around a building when they're not at practice. <laughs> More on that
0: later. Um, but, but so, Jimbo, you know, kind of ho-hum about the quarterback play, um, about the the scrimmage in general, and as he talked to us, he got a little bit more in-depth. But, yeah, Chris's question on Francois did um, not not get a whole lot, and, and over the years is kind of what I've gotten with Jimbo. Is he's happy when his quarterbacks look good and the offense is going.
1: Um, yeah, I came away from the way he talked yesterday that it was a good scrimmage. It was your normal first scrimmage, but sound like the defense were ahead of the offense special team performed fairly well he's, he said he was pleased with that he didn't seem disgusted with the offense we didn't get you know these receivers stink or the other line couldn't block anybody we didn't get any of that kind of stuff so it kind of came off as normal but Jimbo's tough to read in that setting he wasn't angry he didn't seem giddy he seemed kind of you know
0: mundane Um, generally so far this this preseason he's seemed pretty up upbeat with with the demeanor of the team with the way the guys are responding to him there's no last time around this time of year and i wrote about this the other day we saw kind of a panic with him sometimes and in hindsight it's easier to kind of go back and gauge that but but are you guys going to get in the general feeling that he's a little bit more at, at peace with with this group
2: i think this is a team that's confident in their abilities what they can do they can look back at what went wrong last year as a motivation and obviously it's not texas state to open it's alabama to open and they they understand with an extreme level of focus what they need to do. You know, the other takeaway I thought, you know, from what Jimbo said was that he was happy with the offense in situations. It seems like I think mm-hmm. he said they were good in short yardage, goal line, yeah. third down, third down, yeah. third down. So again, that's what Jimbo harps on: is offense has to be good in situations. Mm-hmm. So maybe it wasn't as crisp as he wanted, let's say from the 20 to 20. But he saw enough of the offense that he liked. You know, he did mention. Um, I think we. We talked about a lot of guys were in blue at receiver. That was really just to let them be thudded, yeah. so to speak. They're not going to be tackled, brought to the ground, potentially but he's, injured. He's, he's okay with the wide receiver depth, but just don't touch any of the
0: the starting wide receiver. I, hey,
2: I, I thought they'd be in bubble wrap going out there on, <laughs> on Sunday. I really, I you know, don't know what to expect with uh, with this really deep group of receivers. <laughs> he's also talked a lot consistently
1: throughout the preseason about being happy with effort and being happy with competitiveness. Mm-hmm. Those are two things you sometimes have to coach and two things that last year was FSU truthfully lack in some situations, mm-hmm. especially in the first half of the season. So I think that's a good sign. I think mentally he's pretty pleased with this team. I think physically he likes the pieces he has. Obviously they got to get it together. But when he's kind of given a status update of where they are in the preseason, it's been consistently, I'm pleased with our progress. I'm happy with where we're at. we still got work to do. I would say that's a kind of cliff notes on the way he summarized it every
0: time and that's I mean that's kind of sabin and if you look at I mean that's a sabin yeah. kind of line that's what coach speak to that extent but if if we do go back and look at last year remember man they they restarted practice at least once yeah. he was it, it was this interesting kind of not not contradiction but but it was different ideologies of okay like he was hyping up players and talking about that, that talent level and he thought that team was really talented and like come to find out like they were really talented but he was also really nervous about, or at least came off as nervous at times, about the toughness of that team. Uh, and then we saw that kind of come to fruition. When, when things went wrong for them early in the year, they kind of crumbled. And there was a lot of worst-case scenarios with Derwin James getting hurt and Derek Nottie getting hurt early in the year. And, and I get that, but but we saw that kind of come to fruition. Yeah. The, the the worst fears that they had were realized, and they somehow capped through that, and I think that helps them this year. And is that kind of what we're seeing now, I wonder, is, is the team learning from – the core group of guys that are back kind of learning from that shit show last year and, and, and understanding that they can get through things, they can tough it out.
1: There goes a family-friendly show. Oops, sorry, talks shoot show. Um, <laughs> sorry. I think the big thing is they expect a defense to be good, and it seems like thus far in camp the defense has lived up to it. Yeah. So I think that calms nerves. Mm-hmm. You know, what you expect is what you're seeing. Offensively, I think some things are a work in progress. I know we're going to talk about the O line some in the show. Mm-hmm. I think Francois is a guy they're comfortable with. We've documented the running back depth, very talented there. Guys are still learning, but they got plenty to do there. And receivers, well, it's not super deep. It is talented. There's guys that can do things. And I think Tate and Murray, through two weeks of camp, have clearly shown they're prepared to be the dudes. Mm -hmm. Gavin has had flashes. Campbell's being healthy. DJ's been kind of limited with the hamstring issue. And Terry flashes a lot. Yeah, He'll have freshman moments. He drops some balls here and there and stuff like that. But he'll also make some plays that make you turn your head. So I think it's kind of, you know where a team usually is in a preseason. Defense is usually ahead of offense and in FSU's case that should be the situation. The defence is more talented, more veteran, and just simply better. And uh I think we've seen that. I think that's kinda of consistent theme, but I don't think there there's any panic about the offense. I don't think they feel like the offense has some major issues. Like I don't think there's things that there's not an answer to. Left tackle may be the closest thing mm-hmm. to that. We're gonna discuss that further later.
0: And and Going back to you Chris, you're talking about the wide receivers, um, and Bob, you mentioned that they were, you know, the, the three that we think are gonna be the starting three, Auden Tate, Naquan Murray, and then Keith Gavin were wearing the the blue practice jerseys and Jimbo kind of elaborated on that and said basically he wanted to keep them up. Didn't want them they could thud, they could hit, just didn't want guys going down, you know, taking them out by the legs, which is which is fine, that makes sense. But at this point, like it's pretty clear, right, that these are those are the three guys for Florida say that's what they're rolling with entering the season.
2: I think they have the most confidence in those three. And it's a really dynamic, diverse group. They can uh, stretch the field. You know, I, I think you have a lot of confidence in that group based on what you saw from Tate and Murray in the second half of the last year. And Again, while Gavin hasn't had that catch, he's had the, the kick return. He's stood out in just about every practice situation that we've seen. Mm-hmm. I think this is an interesting group. We just have to see how some of those backups who haven't, shown themselves yet in a a game situation. George Campbell, for example. Um, I think Terry can step in and play, although yet again, it just hasn't happened all that often Mm -hmm. with a true freshman. Um, And let's not forget, they've got tight ends. They've got depth kind of built in where you can push Izzo, flex him out, Mm -hmm. or use him as a blocker to help the left tackle. So I still think my my main concerns are still on the offensive line and pass protection. But I, I feel better about the receiver's through two weeks, whereas on the offensive line, I still have the, pretty much the same questions as I did going in.
1: Yeah, we, we should probably just dive into the O-line. Let's be honest, left tackle seems kind of like it's <laughs> He's a He's been waiting mess.
2: For to go to O-line <laughs> <laughs> since and we I, hit
1: start. <laughs> but, I mean, we, we've all brought it up. Yeah. Left tackle sort of seems like a mess. I mean, Derek Kelly was working there more and more in recent practices, and Derek's had a very good camp. Derek looks like a guy who is finally healthy and ready to play. All that being said – I'm not real comfortable with Derek Kelly as a left tackle. He's not prototyped by any stretch of the imagination. And uh, truthfully, I think he's more talented as a right tackle. I think that is where he fits. Right tackle or either guard spot is more his money spot. Mm-hmm. problem with left tackle is in the spring you were supposed to figure out you didn't. Yeah. You moved a guy there. It doesn't seem to be working real well. Rick Leonard. The guy same. who's young and behind him is very talented, but you don't seem comfortable with throwing him into the fire and Josh Ball. Mm-hmm. And now you're kind of throwing things at the wall and seeing what stick. And, well, Bama's not the team that you can figure it out on the fly. You need to know in the next two weeks who the heck's going to protect that left side. That, that is probably the most important offensive question facing FSU with the remainder of camp.
0: We had talked about this, you know, wrote about it at least in the spring, uh, that, that the spring, for one of the reasons for it to be a success, or one of the things needed for it to be a success was to have a good idea of what you had at left tackle. Uh, and we kind of thought that Josh Ball at least showed promise of being the guy that was going to be growing pains with him. But and there, was,
1: there was good buzz on Ball. There too. was. People that we talked to yeah. within the program were like very pleased with how he did in the spring, mm-hmm. how his body was developing, where he was mentally, what he brought to the game. Now, he's a second-year guy. It's not easy to put those types into those situations. But Josh has worked hard to be prepared to be thrown in mm-hmm. that situation.
0: Yeah, he he had, and he had his moments. And we could only see the spring game. Um, and you saw in pass pro there were some issues, but you saw him as a run blocker. Like okay, like there there is a lot to work with there. And uh, I'm not sure what happened from the time spring football ended until you know throughout the preseason and now, but. Yeah, they start preseason camp, and all of a sudden, Rick Leonard, who Jimbo had said in the spring, he kind of hinted that Rick Leonard could move around. He started at right tackle, I think, six games last year, that he could move to either tackle spot, that Jimbo didn't find it to be super germane to put your your best offense lineman at left tackle, that it wasn't as important. Although, we'll say... His best offensive lineman has played left tackle for, you know, since at least 2013, uh, since I've been here. Cam Irving and and Roderick Johnson, his
1: best guy does go there. The limited amount we get to see O-line and D-line fire off against each other, we consistently see Brian Burns, who I'm of the opinion is one of the best in the league and it's a very good defensive line league, kind of whoop up on the guys. And it's to be expected to a degree, but Mm -hmm. it's concerning at the same time. You know what Brian Burns does if you're his teammate. You Mm -hmm. You know the book on Brian Burns. No matter how talented he is, sometimes you need to stonewall him. Mm-hmm. Have we seen a guy stonewall him this preseason? In no. the limited amount, we've seen O-line, D-line go after each other.
0: I mean, He was, at least in that open practice, I uh, was in the backfield quite, he, a, he quite a bit. He put a brick on a knee one time and yeah. would
1: have killed a quarterback if it was a real game situation. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, so so I guess the question is, like, what the hell? <laughs> why, why, it's one thing to be kind of figuring it out a little bit, but... But why are there three possible options? Or I guess, I don't know. I'm kind of confused as to why we're at this point in in fall camp and there's not a definitive even path to there right now.
1: It seems like Derek Kelly's done really well, so now we're going to try him there because he has been very good in the other situations. But to some degree, that's concerning because that's almost like you walked into camp with A, B, and C as options and now you're looking at D, D, and it's like... You know, two weeks in, yeah, maybe it works, maybe it pans out, but it's also sort of, you know, nut crunching time. You're running out of time to figure out what's going to work for you. And I think FSU's O-line at the end of the day, and I think we talked about this last time on pod, they're going to be better at run blocking than pass blocking. It's been kind of a consistent theme for them. Mm -hmm. And with the meat they have on the inside and the ability they have on the inside with Cole and uh, Landon Dickerson at the guard spots and Everly at center, the, the push is there. They got the guys to do it. So... I just I'm interested to see it. I'm not sold. Rick Leonard's a guy, um, you know. Rick didn't do anything in games last year that make you feel comfortable. I know he got a little bigger, a little more comfortable with it all, but he
0: looked okay against Michigan and Taco Charlton when he was on yeah. the right
1: side. He yeah. he looked all right. He had good on good zones But I just I don't know if he. I don't feel like FSU, being the program they are and the level they recruit at, that they should be having, these kind of concerns at the left tackle spot.
2: I agree. It's kind of surprising. You know, we thought the spring was going to set them up for the summer and then through camp. I thought the guy was going to be Josh Ball. I still think if they were opening up against a opponent not named Alabama, you roll the dice with a retro freshman like a Josh Ball and give him that experience. I think if it's an old Miss even, you, know, you, you take the good with the bad and you put him in there at left tackle and just let him develop, let him get that experience. But with it being Alabama, I, I just think like every – decision along that offensive line has to be ultra under the microscope and honestly the only guy I really have true confidence in is Landon Dickerson, a left guard. I didn't really buy into him being a left tackle. I just felt like he's a guard and that's a position I don't have to worry about and I feel like he makes the guy to his left and the right better. Mm-hmm. Like I think he helps out Everly a lot and I think he's going to help out that left tackle too. At this point I just don't know what left tackle is. I, f- I think Ball is probably your best choice in the long term. And I'd like to see him developed maybe beginning with Louisiana Monroe, but you still have to get through that opener and figure out who's the guy that you trust the most for Alabama.
0: And then after Alabama, you're right, you have ULM, but then you have Miami and NC State right yeah. after. It is, kind of reminds me of the 2014 season when they had about four of the five positions figured out. They had a bunch of guys coming back. They didn't have center figured out. And I think, the coaching staff had dawned on them at some point in the season that their best option was to slide Cam Irving over to center, and they started working on that, but they had to be comfortable.
1: Yeah, they, they at, hesitated to actually pull the trigger in a game situation. And do yeah. it. I, I think it's something they dabbled in for nearly a month. A more. because they had Kareem
0: Array, like that they were working yeah. at left tackle, and that didn't work, and it became clear that Rod Johnson was the answer, but then it, you know, it, it was it rookie makes there. sense
1: being scared to pull the trigger on a young lineman if you're not 100% sure he's ready to take the bullets, and I think that's sort of the case with Josh Ball. But at some point, you have to.
0: But you're never going to be 100% right. sure until... so Again, we're not there seeing them in practice, like, what's happening. And I think, at least at this point, it's clear that nothing is jumping out and, and yeah. catching their attention. as a good thing. I, I think it needs to be that position.
1: They're not garbage. They're not, like, real bad. But the potential of being really good, Where mm-hmm. I'm not convinced they're ready to meet that. Like, I, I feel like they're going to be a tick better than last year, mm-hmm. but still going to figure out things at the tackle well, well. At
0: offensive line, we've seen this, like, when one there's one piece of that line that doesn't work the rest of it just doesn't work yeah. anywhere near as well that's a, it's what's so unique about that that position group in football I will, real quick guys let's go down I was thinking about this the other day left to right whether that FSU will probably be better at that position on the offensive line than last year and I think this is interesting left tackle no no left guard Dickerson's there over Creamari. yes Yeah. Yes. center Alec Eberly, a year
1: I think he's a better player than he was a year ago. Yes. Yeah.
0: Right guard, Cole Minshew over, whether it was Wilson Bell, uh, Dickerson. I'll take, I'll
1: take Cole all day in run situations. Yeah. I think Wilson was a better pass blocker, at least last year. We'll see how Cole handles pass this year. I, I would say it's slightly better.
0: I, I would agree that the, in at least the combination of him and Dickerson is better than what they had you know by the end of last year, and that's Minshew a year older. Um, right tackle, whether it's Kelly or Leonard a year older probably better than what it was I, last year it I was, feel better
1: with Kelly at yeah. I feel like right tackle is his home and he's shown in camp he's been good at that and he's a guy that Fisher and even some players have very much been in the positive about yeah. that. He, he's healthy he is a player he's recruited to be Last year should just be forgotten about him. It was a wasted year yeah. where he was unable to do anything on the field. Mm-hmm. He's back to the form of what he was two years ago, where there was a lot of promise. There was, to him, but he's cashing in on that. Promise. Yeah,
0: I think we all liked what we saw with him at right tackle in a couple starts. I think it was four or five actually in 2015. Yeah. So, so from left to right, I think four out of the five positions will be better. at least a little bit better, if not maybe and the substantially. Depth is certainly better. And then you got all the, I mean, you got guys that were starting last year that are going to be back backing up. Yeah, so that's the one thing for optimism about that offensive line is it should be better, but uh, we'll we'll see with left tackle.
1: With left tackle, I think against Bama, and you're going to do it even if you were in a good spot, you're going to use tight ends and running backs and chip the edge and buy yourself some extra time, but then you're also limiting your downfield options against a pretty talented secondary, so it's kind of pick your poison. If you can run the ball, you free things up a little bit more, but it's The left tackle spot is going to be an interesting thing to watch, especially with the defensive lines they're going to face mm-hmm.
0: in the schedule. Yeah. No, I – yes, it's, that's – lynch pin of this season is going to probably come to the offensive line. and I think yeah. that scares a lot of people. But I think there's also some reasons to be optimistic because we're going to see so much of that right now looks like it's going to be what happens at left tackle. Um, all right, guys. Uh, Matthew Thomas talk or rookie talk?
1: Let's, let's go to defense and do Matthew Thomas. I mean – I'll open it up. I don't think Massey Thomas is sick. I haven't thought that during this whole thing. I don't think he's ineligible. I'm not convinced he is eligible. I think it's sort of up in the air. Um, From everything I've gathered, talking to quite a few people about this over the last week plus, sounds like it's a situation where they're working towards a solution. A solution is expected. If that solution is reached, which should be reached in the near future, the way I understand it, he should be back on the field. Jimbo's comment of sick is buy time and allow a player to get back on the field. Last night he didn't even say he was sick. He just said he expects him back in the near future along with other guys who are out with minor injuries. Mm -hmm. It it happens. Matthew Thomas is just a guy that lives under a microscope because the way his career is gone and because he has had past academic issues. So it's kind of one of those things where it causes people to get kind of in a tizzy over it Mm -hmm. when his name comes up. But people want to know you know, why is there not like finality to it? Because mm-hmm. there isn't finality to it. It's a situation that's being handled and, you know, I believe all parties expect it to be solved mm-hmm. and that he will be on the field when the season falls around.
0: Like So much of this has happens in real time and people want an immediate answer to it and like for us as we report as as journalists and try to be responsible, like with this kind of stuff. We're not gonna report rumors or, or what we do know is that like Chris said Things are open-ended. Uh, it's still fluid. It's still ongoing. Uh, I mean, if it were done and, and there were there was no chance of Matthew Thomas playing football again, I think we would know yeah, by this point. I think morning. Jimbo
1: Fisher would say he's going to be an elf. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, the the sick is Jimbo being a player's coach. Yeah. People will be like, why is he saying that? Why is he lying? In mm-hmm. quotations, things like that. He's not. He's buying his player time for the situation to be handled because he cares far more about his player than he cares about mm-hmm. anybody in that media room. And he's, you know... At the end and of the frankly, end, the anyone that's watching the
0: videos that we're putting up, too. Yeah, yeah. Like, he cares more about his players than he does about yeah. anyone else. He's worried that's about it. it. Yeah,
1: they, they've right. gone to bat for Matthew Thomas. as their guy. They are his support system. Mm-hmm. He appreciates them a great right deal. They're going to allow him time to get this thing solved. And I don't think it's solely something that falls on Matt's lap. U- ultimately, he's the one who has to handle things accordingly. Mm-hmm. But I think this is one of those situations where he kind of got in a pickle that he didn't know he was getting into until he reached that point where he was in it. And now he has to resolve the issue, and they're working towards
0: that. We were, people were freaking out on our message board a week or two ago about Keith, Keith Gavin. Gavin. Yeah. Again, we're not going to report stuff unless we actually know and we understand there's rumors out there. But listen, Keith Gavin was working with, yeah, he's one of the three receivers that they had a blue jersey on the other yeah. day. He was with the first team kickoff return. Stuff works itself out typically. I just say be patient. I think as far as it regards with Matthew Thomas and seeing him on the practice field again, uh, Almost no news is good news at, at this point. I think is kind of where we're at with Matthew. Like I said, Jimbo were to come out and say something definitively about it, but that's not great for Matthew Thomas. I think in the next week you'll have more
1: clarity. Academic situations with athletics is not cut and dry. Never mm-hmm. has been, never will be. If a player gets in academic issues, there's usually a way to work around it to get them back in good standing if they're within reason. Mm-hmm. You know, some guys just bomb out of school and fill out. Yeah, that happens. But a lot of guys are kind of you know teetering on that nice edge of being qualified, not qualified, you know, dropping a class, getting a class repealed, retaking a class, online classes. There's a lot of ways to work out issues with guys to make sure they're able to take the field, you know. And it, it, the guys that people are worried about, Keith Gavin, uh, Matthew Thomas, Vickers to a degree because he was also out during that time of Matthew Thomas. You know, two of those three guys are on the field we believe are fully in the clarity the other guy we believe are working to a solution but there's plenty of other guys that there's been rumors and talk Mm -hmm. about that's never going to come up because the situation handled itself and was resolved i think with matt it's just something that's not like you know click your fingers and it's done or 24 hours and get fixed or go take one test and we're good Mm -hmm. it's something that a little work has to be done to put him in the standing he needs to be in to get back on the field and people need to have patience with it allow finality and accept that Jimbo's not going to just outright come out and tell us exactly what's going on with his player when it's an off-field issue that can be resolved. And really, it's Matt's not a guy that did something bad here. He did not not go to class during something. Mm-hmm. It's not one of those type of things. It's one of these things where he's just got to get himself in the correct academic standing to be eligible to play on the football field. If
0: you guys knew how often stuff like this happened and didn't get out there, you'd be freaking out all the time. And not at Florida State only, but there's yeah. big time. It's college football in general. Josh
1: Rosen is smart as hell. Yeah. And he flat out, in an interview, basically admitted that football and academics don't really go well together. And he's kind of right. It's like, I know you want to
0: talk about the student athlete, but man. There's a reason a lot of
1: kids are three and done in college who. Should go to college for four or five years from mm-hmm. a playing standpoint, because they don't like the college part of it. And They're it's really tough to do football
0: and college at the same time, or to do school and football at the same time. Yeah.
1: Think about if you went to college. Think about how many of your friends, you know, ended up at junior college or didn't finish your degree. Bob,
0: Bob still has a landline, yeah. which is which is pretty miraculous
1: because Bob's <laughs> truly old school. But uh, I mean, think about it. School's not easy for an eighteen to twenty-two year old. Who not great at school. There's plenty of examples away from football. So add in the football the time consumption and yes, I know they have academic support and tutors and that stuff out of Wazoo, but some guys just aren't good students or mm-hmm. do not care to be good students and it happens. Mm-hmm. But I, I think with Matt, the thing I can say is wait for finality, which I don't think we have. I think we will have in the near future and have some patience and quit worrying about every word that Jimbo Fisher does or does not say about them. because yeah. Jimbo's giving you 10 years of examples where when it comes to situations like this with his players, he's not going to be very straightforward Mm with it because that's his objective and because he is a player's coach.
0: Yeah, you're you're right. And as much as we love to to read into what Jimbo says or doesn't say, um, I think patience is the key here for everyone. And you'll probably be a lot happier if if you are patient. Um, So with Matthew out, Bob, do you have an idea of... I mean, he hasn't. He hasn't practiced. Who the guys are that that are getting reps in his place? What that position looks like now, uh, without you know basically your leading tackler from last year. He's been out for what now almost a week, week and a half at least. Mm-hmm. So
2: it's it's been interesting to see so far. They've used a lot of Hoskins and Emmett Rice together in the first team, and and throwing in Q when you go to three linebackers. Uh, but Coach Fisher's just praised mm-hmm. Leonard Warner for how he's looked in the first couple of weeks of camp. Um, again, this appears to be one of those guys. I know we'll talk about him later, but this, this guy's high on the list of true freshmen. You, you could expect to contribute. Um, and again, if Matthew Thomas comes back, he won't be thrown into the fire as a starter, but I think you could still see Leonard Warner get a lot of second-team reps. Mm-hmm. He could play against Louisiana Monroe, Delaware State. You'll see him play a lot throughout the season. So it it's good to get a true freshman this amount of reps in practice early on. Um, you're going up against either the first team or second team offense, depending on situations. You're going to be blocking guys who have more experience. You're going to be trying to fight with the best offensive lineman that Florida State has. I think it's just a good kind of welcome to college for him. And I think, you know, judging from what Coach Fisher has talked about with him, Derek Noddy also praised him. I think a couple nights ago, this is a kid who's who's really going to be special and going to have a big impact.
1: Mm-hmm. He, he's got intelligence. Mm-hmm. The, that's the biggest thing. Leonard's a kid that stands out. He's fairly mature for his age. He's very intelligent. He kind of reminds me of Derek Naughty in those regards. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, like Bob said, getting those chances with the ones and the twos and getting those opportunities, I think he's a kid that will process what's happening. Like It's not just simply go out and try to do something athletically. It's go out, do the play, listen to the coaching, watch the video, talk in the meeting room, figure out how to become a better football player from that rep you just had. I think he's a guy that... That happens more than you know. Some guys that are just living off athleticism and running around on the field making plays. And he's a good athlete too. I mean, physically from that linebacking group, he's a guy that looks like a linebacker. Like he stands out compared to a lot of his teammates at that position.
0: When camp started, I kind of, admittedly, he was on the backburn. Like I wasn't thinking, right, All right Leonard Warner is going to be high up. I think he wears number 35, and I saw him there with the linebackers. Oh, my God, Like who? who's this kid? And he kind of remember like that that he was a four-star guy that Florida State got late in the process, and um, they really liked him a lot. But he passes the eye test, certainly. Uh, what we're starting to hear and what Chris just said is that he's mature. Uh, seems like a guy that is going to help in some capacity, whether it's on special teams, whether it's depth. Because they, ha- they are deep at linebacker. Like yeah, I, and they I,
1: don't use them all. I mean, Josh yeah, Brown, the guy that I think all of us at the table are – fans of and have been high on since he got here. And we just don't see him a whole lot on mm-hmm. defense because yeah. they use two to three at most times and they don't rotate him a whole mm-hmm. lot. But Josh has played a lot of special teams, contributed that way. I think Leonard kind of fits in that mold. But if his number had to be called, similar yeah. to Josh, you're comfortable throwing him in there. Yep,
0: yeah. yeah. He may be the third-team linebacker when the season starts because you have Dontavious Jackson who was wearing a knee brace. At practice, Jimbo was asked about that and kind of standard line said, Everyone yeah. who's not practicing or during the scrimmage will be back. Yeah. Um, so that leaves you with Emmett Rice. Uh, there, like Bob said, you got Hoskins, uh, Roderick Hoskins, who you feel pretty confident in. I, I like Emmett Rice a fair amount. I think he
1: Emmett likes to hit people, he
0: does like to hit people. And Jimbo said as so much. We saw that in the spring. There was one play where a guard pulled and he went took on the polling guard, collision bounced off of him and then made the tackle to push the running back out yeah. of bounds. Jimbo said it's kind
1: of an off-the-cuff comment yesterday about the scrimmage that there were a couple times that he saw some, him pop somebody.
0: And that was one of the few little details we got right. and that was Emmett flashing at him. Yeah. Um, he kind of a guy in the in the mold of a Matthew Thomas. That's rangy, a little bit undersized weight wise. You know, probably about two fifteen. Quick to the spot.
1: Yeah. Can finish a play.
0: Yeah. So so if that's your worst case scenario. Like again, you're so much better off than you were last year. Yeah. Um. Like imagine if they lost Matthew Thomas for any serious amount of time last year, I and mean, they lost him for a half, a half after targeting against Miami. Um, they're just much better. So you yeah, guys. It
1: was, Regular on the show, Nick Patty. We saw <laughs> Nick Patty get significant burning in his old minutes last year. They're not in that situation where got ever.
0: It's not time. happening, uh, at least for the next four years. Like yeah. the way the, the depth that they've accumulated
1: there, burning isn't. injuries yeah. or ineligibility and such.
0: So we talk about Leonard Warner. Let's talk about the rookies that were kind of what we're seeing, what we're hearing. Uh, and Leonard Warner is certainly one of the guys that that Jimbo mentioned he liked. Uh,
1: Stanford Samuels.
0: Sanford Samuels is another guy with Jimbo was asked about, you know, that, that field cornerback uh, position. I don't know if it's a position battle. I think LaFonta Taylor has that fairly well in place, Mm -hmm. Um, but there's Kyle Myers. uh, There's Levante Taylor and the Stanford Samuel and Carlos Becker. Um, and Becker's not really an afterthought, but I don't know if that's his natural position, but they want to see him get on the field, and, and that's just
1: going to be the Becker's defeated. a matchup guy. If you're facing a yeah. that team that's got that 6'5", long, linky mm-hmm. receiver, Becker makes more sense than maybe a Taylor or even Sam, Or even
0: also. like a team like a Syracuse is going to throw the ball out to the flats a lot with yeah. the wide receivers you want, length you want, you know, someone a little more physical. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, that's where Becker's role is. But yeah, so Stanford Samuel was here. Samuel's sorry, I almost always write Samuel when I'm writing it. Samuels, which I should know because his dad's a legacy, but I'm terrible with names. So anyways, he at field corner, uh, Jimbo's mentioned him a few times now and, and I think the key is like when Jimbo mentions a guy I'm provoked. When he mentions his name, mm-hmm. if you ask about a position, and he kinda goes and, and brings the guy up there. Um and I think Stanford has, you know, one that the football IQ because of his dad, because he was coached by a guy who played the position, um because uh, he's been here for you know, spring, so he has a little more experience, and he kind of brings some nice length and athleticism and fluidity to that position.
2: Yeah, there's a lot of good talent. I mean, up and down the defense, I I just kind of feel like you know Matthew Thomas is going to come back, but there are anywhere that you have questions or concerns, there are answers that Florida State has had through these recruiting classes. They have built up so much depth on defense. I. I'm, again, high on Tamari and Terry. I think we've talked about him almost the last couple podcasts. Yeah, wide um, receiver. He looks really good. He, he looks like he is ready to contribute. Mm-hmm. Again, he looks a lot like a slimmer Auden Tate. Just watching him run routes, he's still very smooth. He tracks down the ball very well. Um, I think we all thought it was going to be DJ Matthews was going to be the guy, but he's slowed by the hamstring. So if, if Florida State needs to go down the line and, and find a wide receiver, I think they feel... Pretty good about Tamari and Terry, not with the full playbook, but with enough of the playbook to be able to contribute. The go make a playbook. Yeah,
1: we we need play go make a play. Not not uh hey run the uh, seven yard in. Just go make a play. Just
0: go out. I do love the way that Terry catches. Like he attacks the ball with yeah. big strong hands. Like it's very natural and very organic. And I mean that's. I don't wanna overhype a, a rookie too much, especially a wide receiver just based on the history here. We've talked about that before on the pod, is this, every few years a, a freshman will make a contribution at that position. But man, he he passes the eye test up and down. So yeah, you know, the,
1: the early impression of last year's signing class at Snell here is that there's not a lot of dead weight. Um, you know, Hawkman's mentally mature in there, Blackman's arm talent is pretty special. Mm-hmm. Clearly needs the red shirt, get bigger. Yeah. Blackman can do Streaming. some things. Yeah. Running back group, well documented. We we'll talked about very, them. Tight end. Trey
0: McKitty, we talked
1: yeah. about after Marshall's the... was banged up, so we're not going to see him. I, yeah. I suspect he might even red shirt at this stage. Mm-hmm. Brady Scott's rolling around on a scooter because of the accident that he was in, but he was going to red shirt anyways.
0: That's first reported by Barstools. Yeah.
1: Make sure you sign us. Um, but uh, Brady's an interior guy, probably, long term. Mm-hmm. going down in the future. Defensive line, Marv's going to have some kind of role. Jalen Parks and Durden are going to need a little development. They're going to be red me, shirt guys. They remind me. me of Cedric Wood last year. There's yeah. talent there, but you don't necessarily need it this year. Trey Lawson probably needs a red shirt. Um, I feel like I see Brad yelling at him more than I see him praising him. And just
0: physically, I mean, he's got the long arms yeah. and stuff, but there's not a whole lot of. It was apparently, like then you got Joshua Kendo, who just yeah, looks Kendo like, gets it. Like Kando. those guys are the same age. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> Kendo's physically impressive, but he gets football. Like you watch him do a drill, and he he processes thing at a higher rate than some second and third year guys in the program at that position. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would put him ahead of Generius Olmson at this point. Yes, Generius has made major leaps from what he was twelve months but ago, but still not. Kendo's just yeah. a natural feel, and Kendo's intelligent. Not to say generic, it isn't. But kando has got a natural football intelligence to him. He absorbs things ultra quickly. It's it's impressive to watch a drill be run one time. Brad or Burt Buffoni, who works with DN, speak to Kando, explain something to him. Next time it's running, he does it to perfection. Like he he processes it immediately. It's not in one ear out the other linebackers, you know, I don't know what Brooks will do this year. I don't even know if you use him this year. He's coming off a knee injury. Maybe you redshirt him, give him a year. It's the here. Kalen Brooks, yeah. But, I think
0: he's probably a, a, yeah. a guy, because he's he's limited to where I think you his scope of what he is. He's yeah. probably like a dime linebacker. So. Warner,
1: we've talked about it a good bit. Defensive back-wise, you know, Stanford, Stanford special. Yeah. Hamza is a pretty special dude, even though he's not going to be relied upon this year because he's basically that Derwin role. Let's talk about Hamza real quick. Yeah. I think um, we should call him Elmatic. Which was Nas's first album. I know you're not down with that as much as I like to be.
0: I mean, I'm, I I do like. Uh,
1: Just keep it simple, Illmatic. He'll uh, hit you real hard. He'll cover you. The thing with him is he's a bouncy athlete for a really big one. Mm-hmm. Physically, he looks like a linebacker, but athletically, he plays like a safety.
0: That's been probably the most impressive things I think watching you know him some of his, his high school highlights and stuff like that you knew the athleticism you knew he was going to be bouncy and twitched up and stuff like that and the length was obvious the basketball thing the basketball yeah. it you wrote yeah. the story but, but to it. the thing that Jimbo keeps talking about is the physicality yeah and I think, to me, I mean, that's what I thought was, okay, let's see how much he likes to hit people. And turns <laughs>
1: out, like, he really likes to hit people. He's a future tone setter for that defense. Yeah. I mean, last year we saw when Derwin got hurt. They didn't have a guy that set the tone. No well. mm-hmm. Trey Marshall could to some degree. But in general, they didn't set the tone. I think is that guy in three, four years. He's going to crack some skulls and make it some, well, probably not three or four
2: years, more like next year or year after. I mean, it doesn't feel like he could be the uh, the Derwin of 2018 type. Yeah. I mean, not on that level. Yeah. But could he play He's not the same of role? freak of nature yeah. as
1: Derwin, but he can do some of those things that Derwin does where it gives you the versatility to play at three different levels cover, a pass, hit running back, pressure, a passer. Yeah, he, he's got a whole bag of tricks.
0: When when he, well, on signing day, Charles Kelly spoke at the signing day party, he referenced Derwin James when he compared the two. And, and we're not sitting here saying that, you know.
1: It's not far fetched.
0: Physically, like there's a lot of similarities with yeah. like like Chris said, you can, you can make an impact on all three levels of the defense. you can probably be a guy that you move up to be disruptive with his, his arm length. Uh, it seems like the physicality is there. Yeah, I don't know if anyone is Derwin, or we're gonna see. Him. He's not a Derwin's generational, but he he is a guy that I mean, at least for at one college, like you know what I mean. Like you'll yeah. see, like like people are comparing Sean Taylor. There's guys who come around every so often. Charles
1: Kelly talks about I want to coach Derwin. He's the kind of kid you tell your uh, great yeah. kids about. He's pretty close I to think a generational I think it's fair to say that talent. Yeah,
0: he's pretty close to like an every five years, ten every decade kind of kind of guy. Yep. So I, I'm just saying, I'm not putting. Hamza in that light at all, but I do think he has the ability to be special and, and really sooner rather than later is kind of the, the vibe that we're
1: getting. Because we care about all three phases on this show. Do you mm-hmm. buy the talk that special teams is good? Uh, Jimbo's positivity with that? I think the return game's better. I think punt returns, it sounds like they've done a good job keeping the ball off the ground. They have Tavars guys guys you know, yeah. McFadden. I think coverage on kick yeah. and punts is good. Do you think the actual kicking of the ball is better? I'm not I'm not on board with that. A little bit I've gotten to watch a little Aguayo kick, it's still hitting a lot of uprights and not looking real pretty and Logan, huge leg, but sometimes you still, you know, you know, off the foot, you're not sure where the heck it's going.
0: I have a theory on that, but let's uh, let's get our, our designated special team speed reporter, Bob Ferrante, here to, to to weigh in on uh, on his
2: favorite topic. You'll be stunned to hear that I, I talked with Logan and Ricky at Media <laughs> he, Day. He, and he did for a long it, time, too. <laughs> if they if they add a 10th coach and it's special
1: teams, do you think you can get it? I mean, you've put in a lot of work on that beat in the last couple of years.
2: No. No, I, I, I don't. I don't think they want me coaching anything. Down <laughs> ever? The, ever. <laughs> if, if they do get a
0: 10th coach and it's not a special teams coach, you're just going
2: to lose your mind, just start no. throwing tables and chairs? I, I did write that I think I think college football needs to kind of wake up and beyond hire a 10th coach, you need to hire an 11th coach to focus on special teams. It's not fair to Jay Graham or anybody to have to put one more thing on the plate. And it's a lot of things when you look at the variety of responsibilities with special teams. It's not just kicking and punting, it's coverage and returns. And I feel like that's a deal where colleges have the money. Throw 50 grand at a kicking coach, um, former NFL guy. Every NFL team has a special teams coach or coordinator. Why college football is behind and not doing this is kinda of beyond me. I think it was it was really funny to hear Logan talking about it. Like I said, you know, who do you bounce ideas off of? He says, Well I know so and so at Texas A and M and I know so and so at Oklahoma and, you know, my dad never punted but he listened at all the camps, so if I have a question I talk to my dad. And it, you know, this is uh, great. How are kids, how, a how lot of are is that? on the
1: Corn Blues and the Coles yeah. and the guys who yeah. run those kicking camps or Ruby over long snappers? A lot of guys, that's kinda of their confidant until they make the NFL if they're,
2: you know, playing yeah. to that level. And this and, is this is cool to hear that they have a support yeah. system as a fraternity, but don't you think there should be somebody on the staff who could also be that guy? Yeah. I think I think that's it. And to your question about will it be better to be determined with Ricky Aguayo, but with Logan I do feel like the hang time is an area where he really spent the offseason working on. He kind of mentioned that you have to have not just the hang time, but you want to have the the distance be complementary. So if the hang time is 4.2 seconds, he wants to see a 42-yard punt or 4.5 with a 45-yard punt. You want to have a nice arc give the coverage unit time to converge and Either get a, a fair catch or, you know, wrap them up pretty quickly. So I, I think Logan knows what he has to do to improve. He mm-hmm. also spoke about being a kicker who has to become a punter, improving net punting average.
1: Like, it's not solely about distance; it's about yeah. flipping the field and not allowing that to turn into a big play. Mm-hmm. Not shooting off a missile or over kicking your coverage or which
0: happened yeah, a, a fair last amount year last year. Yeah. So,
1: but wow. I, I think we've seen punters at FSU. Sean Powell I always think back to, you know, his freshman year his first year of punting, I can't remember for sure, it was his freshman year. He struggled. He had, you know, shanks and he had missiles and stuff like that. And by the end of it, Sean was phenomenal. And Graham, of course, is a guy that stepped into punting late in his career here and was unbelievable. I mean he was basically the M V P of a bowl game. Don't playing. forget about debt either. Case in debt Beatty. Uh, yeah, Beatty improved. He was yes. very, very I mean, good as senior year. He terrible yeah. early in his career to fairly decent. He
0: was one of the better year. punters in the country statistically. and I, there Was it the Boston College game? I think there's a couple games yeah, where, like, yeah, he, yeah, I don't want to say he won him the game, but, like, without Jeremy
1: Ramsey was super complimentary yeah. of him after yeah. that
0: game. Yeah, if, yeah, if he goes and has some games like he had previous years, like, they may lose that game because of field position or just some. But know, as far as field goal
1: math, I'm feeling like FSU should, uh, break the mold of what they've been under Jimbo with field goal math. And if it's kind of a shorter field, go for it. Like, I, I'm not super comfortable lining up at the 23-yard line and going for a field what, goal right now with this team.
0: Were you guys – did you see the – I think it was – I wish I could attribute it correctly. I think it was ESPN did all acts. I did it's something where they had – Um, can't remember. One of the reporters came and was embedded with Florida State for a day. This Chris past Lowe. Three. Yeah, it was Chris, Chris
1: Lowe. Chris with ESPN,
0: yeah. Was that who had –
1: Somewhere where there was Jimbo
0: just dog cussing.
1: I don't uh, know. I didn't notice. I, I watched the Derwin James part of that. He rode with Jimbo to work. I saw some stuff on in the facility, you know, during warm-ups for practice, but I didn't watch it all so I, somewhere, I don't tune into East
0: Somewhere going around there and I heard on the Jeff Cameron show the other day, I believe, driving back from, from practice. I was listening to the podcast and uh and there was audio somewhere and I get I wish I could attribute it correctly, but it was of Jimbo dog cussing his kickers, basically saying, you know, there's a few expletives and saying, will I'll just go for two says I'm tired of it and that was the other day and then the next availability we got was Jimbo praising the kickers so there may have been a little backtracking there
1: I think I think special teams as a whole is better than it was a year ago I'm not convinced that they're Improved field it was
0: pretty goals. bad. Didn't in our confidence ratings didn't Wayne Wayne McGee join the show and give him a two <laughs> two did. out of ten. Yeah, it, <laughs> overall
1: I wouldn't put him in a two, but as far as <laughs> making field goals, I have some. concerns.
0: Wayne's Sorry. a prisoner of the the moment. Yeah, so, he gets
1: a little stuck in his it, ways at times. Oh, uh,
0: but, but but there's concern. But yeah, and that Jimbo did say he liked them after Sunday's practice. In all fairness, he did go out of his way. Punting, kickoff, punt returns, yeah. kick returns,
1: coverage should all be. I'm pretty good with those, but. Three or two, three points. And I'm not feeling super confident.
0: Field goals still maybe a little bit. Is this because just just Roberto Aguayo was cut and you're just kind of you know a little transference issues I'm going? I'm I'm <laughs> <laughs> All right, I think we're we're running out of steam here because we're going in depth on on special teams and
1: kickers. They're and... people too.
0: Yeah. All right, guys, <laughs> thanks for uh, joining this episode of the Knowles Twenty Four Seven Podcast. I'm Brendan Sinone. Thanks to uh, Chris Knee, Bob Ferrante, for joining me. We'll uh, we'll talk to you guys next time.